This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light. Hello and welcome to WSFI Spotlight on 88.5. I'm your host, Peter Curran, and I'm joined here today with... Jimmy Murphy, Peter Murphy. And we are also joined here interviewing Mr. Mark Pleiss. Mr. Pleiss is in his 10th year at Carmel Catholic High School. He is assigned as a deacon at St. Gilbert's Parish. Anything more you'd like to add to that, Mr. Pleiss? That about does it. <laughs> All right, um, I'll start it off with a, with a question for you, Mr. Pleiss. What made you want to become an educator on faith? What made me want to be an educator? Um, I like teaching. It's fun. Uh, for me, it's um, it, it really is fun. That's why this COVID business makes teaching not fun, <laughs> uh, because uh, there's no students in the classroom. Uh, teaching is, a, is an, both a craft and it's an art, and it has to be done live, in person. Um, if all I'm doing is imparting information, I can just say, well, here's the catechism, read it. <laughs> okay. uh, but what I'm doing is I'm passing on faith, and that requires a personal interaction. And I enjoy doing that. Uh, it, to me, it's fun. Um, that uh, Dr. Bonham pays me to do this is just icing on the cake. It's, it really is fun. I feel like you more than any other teacher that I've ever had, ac you actually connect with the students and you care for what you're teaching. I, I try to do that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have a question. So you, you obviously love teaching, but what would you say is the hardest part about being an educator at the high school level, especially teaching the faith? <laughs> the hardest thing for me is the technology. The technology? <laughs> <laughs> All this Zoom stuff, if it wasn't for Mr. Potassic, if it wasn't for Mr. Donner, and if it wasn't for Mr. Hansel, uh, Dr. Bonham would just fire me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no clue. Um, I, I'm slowly catching on. Um, so it's been a trial this past semester. Uh, but uh, I'm not alone. Uh, there's a lot of other old farts like me that's <laughs> out there that has the same problems. Um, th th I think that's the number one problem. Uh, right now. The overall problem in teaching is uh, indifference and a lack of the faith being practiced at home. Uh, I don't care if you went to a public school or a Catholic school in your first eight years of school. That um, makes, in my experience, it makes absolutely no difference. The difference is, is the faith practiced at home? If it is, now I've got a student there that knows what I'm talking about. If the student went to Catholic school, but the faith isn't practiced at home, I get nothing. Okay, so that's what's difficult. Uh, indifference and the lack of the faith being practiced at home. And then, and then <laughs> pile on to that, the technology issue, you got yourself a problem. <laughs> uh, so uh, I have a question. What uh, called you to or inspired you to become a deacon? Uh, well, it wasn't something that I woke up one morning and I said to my wife, you know, hey, Sarah, I think I want to be a deacon. It wasn't like that at all. Uh, I was in Indiana uh, over in the town of LaPorte, 
and uh, I was doing a lot of things in the parish there. Uh, I was a lector. I was uh, taught re religious ed. Um, and people kept coming up to me and saying, you know, I think you'd be a good deacon. And I said, well, okay, thank you. Uh, but the first ten people that said that, I just blew it off. You know, I didn't know anything about being a deacon. Um, but then after the tenth person, I thought, well, maybe God's trying to tell me something here. And uh, so I went on retreat and uh, prayed about it, talked it over with Sarah, my wife, and decided to get into the program. Now, this would have been in the Diocese of Gary not here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, at the time, um, Bishop Dale Melzick was the, um, was the bishop there, and it was required that any man who wanted to be a permanent deacon first had to go through the lay ministry program, uh, which at that time was three years. Um, and then another three years of the diaconate program if you were admitted. So it was a it was a long process, um, but I felt um, we had a, we had a lot of instructors from Catholic Theological Union, where I eventually got my master's degree in theology, and so we we had some uh, we had some excellent instructors, uh, and as the both the um, lay ministry program progressed, and then then getting actually into the diaconate program itself, I felt more and more that this was, a, was something I was supposed to do. Okay. Yeah, that's it. That's a really interesting story. Um, as some people may not know, you were actually a Baptist. You were born a Baptist. What was there any one reason that caused you co to convert? Or No. It, it, again, like the diaconate thing, it was a long process. Uh, it was not any one thing. Uh, it was a combination of things over a long period of time. Um, yes, I was, I, was born, uh, I was born into a family that was nominally Baptist. However, my parents did not go to church. Uh, I went to church with my mother's mother, and uh, who was very strong in her Baptist faith. And so I went to church with her. And uh, I was baptized when I was 12. And I recall vividly my baptism. Um, the baptism took place uh, in 1966. Uh, after the baptism, though, uh, in 1966, I'm 12 years old. So after uh, the baptism, I, you know, I didn't feel like going to church anymore. I mean, I was saved, man. I mean, you know, what else you want from me? <laughs> so uh, I didn't go to church until I met my the girl who was to become my wife in high school, and started going to. Uh, church with her, which was not a Catholic church, it was a Disciples of Christ church, just down the street from the Baptist church where I grew up. Uh, but when I met her, I we began to be more serious in the Christianity. We started going to church with her, beginning to read Bible, stuff like that. At the same time, after I graduated from high school, I worked my way through college delivering flowers for a florist. And every Saturday, for the four years that I worked at the floral shop, I had to place of two vases of flowers on what I learned later was the old high altar of a Catholic church. And when I first started working there, I just you know run in, put put the uh, the vases down on the on the altar, turn around, walk out. 
But as I began to read Bibles, I began to exp to look into Christianity more and more. I would put the vase down and just sit in the pew and look around and think, what is this stuff? I mean, there's all <laughs> kinds of stuff in this church that's not in my Baptist church. You know, there were candles all over the place, statues, there's pictures, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, there's this thing, there's this rail up there, what's that? You know, there's this candle burning up there next to this gold box, what's that? You know, stuff like that. So I became interested. And so it's a gradual thing. And so I keep looking, I keep digging, I keep digging. I start looking at our Sunday Visitor newspaper. And finally, I thought, let's just do it. So I was received into the Catholic Church on Easter Sunday, 1977, in Bloomington, Indiana, at St. Charles Borromeo. Would you say you had any role models like saints that you looked up to during your conversion? No, not at all, because I didn't know anything about saints. Well, how am I know about saints? Everybody's bad. <laughs> okay. So, no, but who I did look up to was my other grandmother, my dad's mother, who was Catholic. Okay. She never, um, she never spoke to me about it before I, I was received into the church, but after I was received into the church, we went to Mass together a couple of times before she died. And... Uh, I always admired her. Um, she was very strong in her faith, but she didn't, you know, it wasn't flaunty. You know, she didn't go out of her way to, 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 to put it, always talking about it. It was the way she lived her life. And so that was my role model, I would say, yeah. Saints, nah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do you have any, like, unexpected challenges when you're converting? Like, anything you didn't see happening or just, you know... Did, uh, I can't think of anything. Um, not challenges. I would say it was more of a an unfolding of beauty. It was I've never seen this stuff before, uh, or heard music like this. Um, I was raised in Southern Indiana. Uh, if you know where Louisville, Kentucky is, right across the Ohio River. There, from Louisville is a uh, town called New Albany. That's where I'm from. Seventy miles to the west, due west, is a Benedictine monastery. So I started going down there after conversion, and I was listening to all this chant. It was just beautiful stuff, and I, it was it was more of I'm constantly learning new stuff, and I, I was insatiable. I, you know, I, I wanted to know all this stuff. So challenges, uh, I can't think of any. <laughs> Well, um, why do you think that now, more than ever, people are straying away from the, from the church and Christian life? And what can we do as Christians to bring others to the church and to bring others to, f to the faith? Um, I, th I think the continual sec uh, secularization of the culture is one issue. Uh, how can we bring more people to the faith? I think it's by by your the way you live your life as opposed to argumentation okay I'm gonna I'm gonna argue into being a Christian now there's a place for debate and there's a place for argument I guess but in the final analysis that's not going to that's not going to convert you know your your average Burl Grundy secularist you know uh, that's it's it's not but what will is the way you live your life. Uh, 
you've got to be able, people have got to be able to see that you're a Christian. That's one of the reasons why I don't go around calling myself Deacon Mark. Okay, yeah, I'm a deacon, but I want people to see the diaconate in me as opposed to me having to tell them I am one. Or, but that's for everybody. It's not just deacons or priests or bishops. I mean, it's for it's for everybody. You are a Christian by the way you act, not by the what you say or do necessarily. Okay, that's a really powerful way to live live your life. <laughs> and it's and it's not and it's not easy. Yeah. Okay, because in the secular society that we live in, you're always being bombarded. It's like I tell the students at Carmel. Out in the world, you're told one thing. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, um, uh, uh, chastity. Okay, so you you caught the students come into the school, and uh, they're told, well, sexual relations is for the sacrament of marriage. Okay, and then they look at you like you've got to be kidding me. Okay, so <clears throat> the the culture tells them one thing, the school tells them another. Okay, and. They're out in the culture more than they're in the school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've got to not just tell them that, I've got to live that. And the students have got to see that. For sure. <laughs> How has teaching at Carmel impacted you personally? Or has it impacted your faith at all, helped you grown? Or Car- teaching, I, I've, I've said this several times. Um, Teaching at Carmel is the best job I've ever had, period, the end. Okay, it is, as I said earlier, it's fun. Uh, it has deepened my faith. I, I get uh, comments, I get little notes from students, and when you get those, you know, th- that just makes it. So somehow God gets those notes to you when you're when you are having a real bad day, okay? Uh, students are not paying attention or the stupid Zoom won't work, yeah. okay? Yeah. And then you get this. That's nice. We're going to take a quick break right here. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio from anywhere in the world? Our live internet stream is available at WSFIRadio.org. Just click on Listen Live. We also stream on the TuneIn mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. For iPhone and iPad users, visit the App Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. For Android users, visit the Google Play Store, download the TuneIn app, sign up for a free account, and then search for WSFI. Click Follow to add us to your profile. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455.
The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Are you retired or near retirement? Do you want to keep a larger amount of your assets in a safe place with guaranteed interest rates to protect yourself from a huge market swing? Are you amazed at how low the interest rates are at your bank? If you said yes to any or all of those questions, you may want to call me, Matt Tomlinson, at Catholic Financial Life to discuss our guaranteed fixed rate annuities. Call 847-548-MATT. 847-548-6288. Products not available in all states. And we're back. Back here with a uh, really cool guy, Mr. Mark Plyce. Uh, we were talking about earlier how you're a uh, deacon, and I understand not a lot of people know this from class. You've told us about how you're uh, actually a prison deacon. Yeah. Well, yeah. I did ministry at the Indiana State Prison uh, for about... You know, anywhere between around seven years. Indiana State Prison is a maximum security prison. It uh, houses violent offenders. It also has houses death row inmates, men who have been condemned to death. So I ministered both to the general population and the uh, death row guys. I also had what... Visitors have two types of badges. They have a, a yellow badge or a blue badge. Okay? Yellow badge means you can only go to those points in the prison where, uh, wh- when you're accompanied by a, an officer. Uh, you don't call them guards, by the way. Okay, that's an insult. Okay? If you want to insult a, a, one of those guys, you call him a guard. <laughs> and they'll say, guards work at Walmart. Okay? <laughs> anyway, um, but I had a blue badge. And the blue badge simply means that I can go anywhere in the prison uh, unaccompanied. I could go anywhere. Now, in order to get this blue badge, I had to do an extra week of training, blah, blah, blah. But it was worth it because then I could, I could, I could move around freely. Um, usually I would go in on Sunday uh, with, with Father Tom McNally, who is... I'm, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's still with us, but he was the the priest from uh, Notre Dame. He was a, a Holy Cross priest, and he would come in and do the mass, and I would deacon the mass uh, on Sunday once a, uh, once or twice a month. Uh, I would be there about three hours. We'd do the mass, and then I'd go around uh, to the different cell blocks, up to the infirmary, uh, up to death row. Uh, do either a communion service or just hand out communion. Um, every once in a while, I have to go to uh, the individual detention units, IDU. Uh, when the prisoners are not being nice, okay, they, they put them in there. Uh, you don't want to be in IDU. Uh, very not a nice place. But we'd have to wear a face mask and a jacket for protection, although I never had any problems. The inmates, it, it depended on um, their personality, on how quickly they would open up to you. Uh, they had to feel 
that you trusted them and they would trust you before they would really talk about anything of substance. Uh, so your initial conversations with these guys would be, uh, what kind of car do you drive? Or um, what vacations they went on before they were in prison? Stuff like that. The guys in the general population, uh, some were lifers. Uh, some were in there like for 30 or 40 years. Several were in the general community. The lifers were convicted of murder. The death row guys, obviously, they were all uh, convicted of first-degree murder. They, at the time that I was there, there was about 17 men on death row. One, Eric Wrinkles, is the one I was, if you can say, closest to. Uh, and he was an interesting man. He, he, uh, he was executed either in 2009 or 2010. I'm thinking it's 2009. As uh, far as I know, he's the last man to be executed over there at the Indiana State Prison. India, uh, uh, execution at the Indiana State Prison is by lethal injection. Um, Eric was an interesting man from the a point of view of ministry. Uh, he came into the Catholic Church as, uh, as while he was a prisoner at the Indiana State Prison. Um, Deacon Malcolm was very instrumental on that. Uh, he uh, took he regularly took communion from me, either me or Father uh, Father John. Um, I'm glad I did that ministry. Jesus says to visit the the imprisoned. Uh, I'm glad I did that. At my age, I don't know if I'd do it again, but I'm glad I did it. Um, Prison is not a fun place. Uh, I remember on my very first uh, orientation, it was night. And so we're walking between buildings in those orange Krieg lights, you know, and the sounds you hear, you you don't want to hear that. (laughs) And um, uh, it was scary. And I come home and I I told Sarah, I said, I don't know if I want to do this. She said, well, give it one more shot. And uh, when I did give it another shot, no pun intended, uh, the, uh, it was during the day. And so I said, okay, I can do this. And so I did. So it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Why do you believe that it is important for us to be pro-life as Christians? Well, uh, we are, all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And... Uh, only God has the authority, right, power, well, not the power, but he does have the authority and the right to say when we are, when we are born and when we die. Um, that is just fundamental. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, I'm against the, uh, the death penalty. I, I, I talked to Eric on the morning of his execution. Um, then that night he's dead. Uh, it did not bring back the, the people he murdered. Um, it, it, it's, to me, it's this legal vengeance. Uh, it makes a mockery of, of a person's image and likeness in God. This is not to say that the this is not to say that the victims of, for example, Eric, the the victims of Eric's 
the the loved ones of his victims aren't that they weren't they weren't they did they wanted so much to see justice done that I, I don't know if they could ever see that killing Eric wasn't the the way to go I often said that if you really wanted to punish Eric you'd leave him in there for life because he hated it and he spoke of hating it frequently and he was not an old man uh, so if you really wanted to punish Eric you'd have let him live it's, it comes down to image and likeness would you say it's difficult seeing peop- other people in prison that obviously are in the image and likeness just like similar to you and knowing that someone in there might not be able to do the things that like you do on a regular basis like ever again it is um if you've ever seen the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption uh it is it's yeah. a good movie <laughs> but if you noticed their their clothing is always nice and pressed and it's clean okay and uh what you cause since it's a movie you don't you can't smell them uh in prison their clothes are are soiled they stink because they don't bathe they don't shower they are when they're when they're walking around especially people who are not other inmates their heads are down um it takes forever for some of them to open up to you uh, because they're afraid. They get, they don't know if they can trust you, okay? And you think this is what this is the way they live every day. And when I would leave the prison, you know, after that, after going through that last security gate and the and the bars would close, I would go, you know, I mean, you know, I'm I can go home. But those guys, they're there with all those Orange Krieg likes going on and all those sounds. It's hard. It grinds on the humanity of the person. So I know you said Eric converted in prison. Are there a lot of converts? At yeah, like there was that? a guy named Dan Howard, uh, not on death row. Dan, in fact, Dan was from southern Indiana, as was I, and uh, he converted in the prison. And, and then... He was very interested in St. Benedict and saying the Liturgy of the Hours and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that. They have a RCIA program in the prison. Oh. <laughs> and they have an Easter, they have the Easter vigil thing, you know, they baptize them they, and they uh, anoint them and give them First Communion. Yeah, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a favorite Bible passage or verse and why does that bring meaning to you? I grew up Baptist. I mean, it's got to be John three sixteen. For God's love, the world gave His only begotten Son. That thing. But my favorite gospel is Gospel of Luke. I think Jesus is he's portrayed there so compassionately and lovingly. I like that. I often tell people if you want to know what Christianity is all about, just read uh, Luke fifteen. You know the three parables there. That's what it's all about: lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. But my favorite book in the Old Testament, by far, nothing even comes close, Song of Songs. That 
is one great book, okay? And it freaks people out when I have them read it, especially the Foundations class and the Old Testament class, because they never read anything like that. It's quite sensuous, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. Okay, the point is that the relationship between God and human beings is, mirrors the relationship between husband and wife, and it's one of passion, and it's one of joy, and it's one of love. And so, it's, it's the song uh, songs is this one big long poem about that. It's great stuff. I love the the students' reaction when I when they read it. I've literally had a student say, "This is in the Bible." I said, "Yes, it is." <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Some people might not know this that haven't gone to Carmel, but you do an open line where you have students at ask you questions. Have you ever had any that are almost like too difficult to answer or? Yeah, open line, uh, too difficult to answer. The most difficult an- question, and it comes in a variety of forms. It's not just f- worded the same, but what they're asking is, why do bad things happen to good people? That question comes up all the time at open line. And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> But open line, I'm glad you mentioned that. Open line started with me just, I was at the end of a lesson. It was too early just to blow off class, but it was too late to start a new lesson. So I just said, hey, has anybody got any questions? And that's how it it started. And it's called open line because of my grandmother. I grew up at a time when there were party telephone lines. Two families had the same phone number different rings and so my grandmother she would get on the phone and say oh darn there's somebody on it ah somebody on it finally she'd show oh i got an open line <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it came about and that is all the time we have for today just a reminder that we here at wsfi 88.5 we are funded by you the people we are very appreciative of any donation that you can give that's all to hear today from me, Jimmy Murphy, Peter Murphy, and Mr. Mark Price. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you so for much coming for being on. You're welcome. Glad to be here. <laughs> this has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.